0: Welcome, NEC Hoops fans, to a special edition of the NEC Overtime Pod. It's NEC on the run. I'm Ron Ratner. I'm here with NEC blogger Ryan Peters. Ryan, thanks for joining us. My pleasure. All right, Ryan, we're 11 games into the conference schedule. Let's do a spin around the league, see where we're at heading into the holiday break. Let's start with probably the most impressive team we've seen so far this year. Bryant, three and one in the league, one point loss to Syracuse, a couple of good non-conference wins. How do you assess them at this point?
1: I mean, Jared Grosso has to be thrilled with where his team is right now. They're, you know, they're shooting really well from three, 42% from three. They're pushing the pace. He's got seven or eight guys in his rotation that he could comfortably play. Um, the guys that you would expect to make that freshman to sophomore jump in Michael green, Charles pride, um, even Nathaniel Stokes, they're making that jump. And then, you know, Elijah's and kiss and, and child's team looks really good. They're versatile. It, they, they remind they're in the mold of what Jared Grosso wants. In, in that he has shooting at four, sometimes five positions when you put Stokes at the five, he could run up and down the floor. Um, there really isn't a, there isn't, isn't a set position for each guy everyone's very versatile it reminds me of the Iona teams that Tim Kloos had when Grasso was the associate head coach there it's kind of in the same uh in the same mold and um they're playing well right now they're they're literally one good 10 minute stretch away in St. Francis Brooklyn of being 4-0 and I think you know going into the year I think Grasso would have signed up for a 3 and one start.
0: So we've seen that Bryant can score. They became the first NEC team to drop 80 points or more in their first six games. They're averaging 93 a game, looking at some numbers, five of their top. What is it? One, two, three, four, of their five, five top scorers all shooting over 50% from the field, but in their most recent games against Wagner this past week, wasn't as much run and gun as we've seen. Um, they scored. uh What did they score? 74 and 81 points in the two games. So they've shown that if you try to slow them down, they can still have some success.
1: Yeah, you know, that that comes back to the shooting. When you have four guys that could shoot on the floor, you spread everything out. And then you you add the playmaking ability of Michael Green. Charles Pride is kind of a man among boys and kind of creating off the dribble. Peter Kiss is no stranger to getting into the lane. So when you spread it out, when you have that threat of Chris Childs popping from three um, and other guys... You could you could get broken down off the dribble, and that kind of opens up the lane for everyone else. And then obviously you have you know Elijahs down low. You have some offensive rebounders. The thing is, even in the half court set, even when Wagner did slow them down in these two games, they still made the three. Um, they were twelve of twenty eight in their in their second win against Wagner, which is very uh, very impressive. Um, and so you know they it goes back to the versatility in the shooting, like I said earlier. Um, when you have that, you could actually kind of adapt to the game plan, and that's what Grasso did against Bashir, Mason, and Wagner.
0: Certainly an impressive start for Bryant. Let's talk about a team that maybe's outperformed expectations so far. They've looked pretty good at Central Connecticut. What's your take
1: on them? Yeah, you know – so they've always had athletic wings, especially last year. It just, they've, they've been kind of missing that point guard piece. And I think Nigel Scantleberry has been um, kind of a revelation for, for um, Daniel Marshall. He's got over a 30% assist rate, but not only that, not only is he creating shots for his teammates, he's getting to the free throw line that, that tells you how aggressive he's been, uh, especially off the bounce and you insert, you know, Trey Mitchell has been terrific as well. Um, He was kind of, he was kind of touted as a point guard, but he's more like a playmaker, much in the same mold as Greg Outlaw and Miles Baker and those guys, Jameer Reed. Um, You know, Mitchell's made 30 shots and just turned it over three times so far. That's really impressive. It always seems like he's under control. He never forces a bad shot. You know, he's any, he's, he does it on all three levels. He could shoot the three. He could get to the rim, but also he's got a smooth and silky mid range game as well. So I think he throws Scantleberry and and Mitchell into the mix. I mean, Ron, it kind of reminds me of the Bryant team when they were kind of transitioning into division one. You had Corey Maynard, Frankie Dobbs, and Alex Francis, not much else. But then you add sharpshooting Diame Starks and then ultimate glue guy, Joe O'Shea to that mix in Bryant's first year. I think it was 2012, 13 season. And then they, they win 19 games. So sometimes all it does is takes a couple of guys to go and get into that rotation. Then and obviously the freshman to sophomore jump that you're seeing out of Outlaw. Outlaw, Greg Outlaw looks a lot more comfortable out there. Xavier Wilson is a little more in control now of his body around the rim. Um, Miles Baker, I think, is gonna be much better. And Krishna is just kind of a seasoned vet, vet, a guy who could, you know, play on both ends and and make make threes um, with proficiency. So you kind of throw, like I said, you have Scantleberry Mitchell in there, and I think Marshall's got something going here, and, and two and two is a nice start for this Blue Devil team.
0: I agree. I think that this is a team that will only get better, and you know what? Wait even until next year because, you know, they have a, a team of young guys here. So he's yeah. building a foundation. We like to see that. Uh, let's go to some teams that we hadn't really seen much of. LIU, we hadn't seen it all. Sacred Heart just once on uh, opening night. They played this week, they split, kind of two very different games. Yes. Uh, what are you? I know, I, I know you were happy on, uh, uh, to see Sacred Heart bounce back in game two of
1: the series. What did you take from those uh, games? I mean, the nature of the back-to-backs in the NEC is going to be wild. It already has been, we've seen, we've seen splits, you know, whether it's St. Francis, Brooklyn Central, whether it's Bryant and St. Francis, Brooklyn Central and Fairleigh Dickinson, and now Sacred Heart and LIU. LIU was really good in that second half of the first game. They just, Sacred Heart did not have an answer for Trey Wood. He was getting to the rim at will. His speed and quickness was really one thing that really stood out to me in that first game. Um, You know, his ability to, his his quick first step, I mean, he's going to be a problem to contain in the NEC. And then Alex Rivera was just this gritty, gutty guard who could kind of do it all. Kind of in the in the mold of uh, Julian Batts was for the, the previous four years for LIU. He kind of he definitely kind of fills that role, and then you know Flowers was terrific, you know, and double double in that first game, and then that second game, I think Sacred Heart, you know, they have a lot of youth in the team, so I think that the the second half in the first game got away from them. Anthony went to zone a little bit. It definitely kind of curbed Wood's ability to get to the rim. Um, I think you know LIU. Also too, you know, you're going on these back of the backs. It seemed like they had tired legs in that second game. They just couldn't buy a three-point shot. And I think that the younger guys for Sacred Heart, you know, when you, when you get really good guard play out of Aaron Clark, who we know is very good. But then Tyler Thomas, you know, 23-9-6, and six, one turnover yesterday. You know, Thomas has been asked to be that one-dimensional freshman where he just makes threes because that's all he needed to do last year. But this year at least in that second game against LIU, he was getting to the rim. He was breaking guys down off the dribble. Um, So he's kind of showcasing more of an all around game. And then you get 15 points out of Alex Watson with zero turnovers. I mean, that's, that's just gravy to Anthony Latina. So you get that, you get that solid guard play in that second game. That's really helpful when you have such a green front court. And I know, you know, Cantavio Dutrell is like a vacuum cleaner down low. That guy could get boards <laughs> with the best of them. But around him, you got Mattis Espokas and, and Nico Gallet and uh, you know Bryce Johnson. These guys are gonna be good, but it's gonna take some time. There's gonna be a lot of ups and downs with them. So I think you know if you get quality guard play like you did and you kind of contain LIU off the dribble like Sacred Heart did in that second game, that's where you get these kind of wacky lose by 20, win by 15 results. And we've seen it a couple times already in the NEC.
0: Yeah, I think you make a good point in the with the back-to-backs. If You look at the two games and you see LIU pretty much went with a six-man rotation yeah. without Cotton playing. So yeah. that, that might get you on the second night of a back-to-back, whereas Sacred Heart went pretty deep. I mean, they were going, t- you know, 10 players plus deep um, both nights. So I, I think, the, you know, the split may become more of the norm than anything this year, you know, especially without crowds at the game. So we'll see how that goes. But – um Let's move on and talk about. Let's go to the Mount. They are uh, only played once. They beat Saint Francis uh, University uh, handily at home. They played Maryland tough. Played a good Navy team tough. Certainly some talent here. They they present problems with you know matchup problems with their length and athleticism. What did you take from Mount start?
1: So that game against St. Francis University, it really came back to Mezzi Offerham. You know, he had 19 points, eight boards in the game. Um, He was really, it's kind of funny because he's, he's a, he's not your prototypical three. Offerham was kind of described to me in the, in the preseason by another coach as uh, a Caleb Bishop body and athleticism, but with guard skills. Um, And I know Offerham, Offerham's not a great three point shooter, but when he gets guys off the dribble with that six, eight frame, he's just too strong. Um, he's a handful for NEC wings to kind of contain. So um, I think he, him along with a Poku and, and Jefferson down low, that really provides a mismatch problem on both ends of the floor, offensively and defensively for other teams, you know, defensively, it's very tough to shoot over that length. Um, and then, You know, Jalen Gibbs has looked really good. Hopefully, knock on wood, I know he was injured recently. Hopefully, he's fully healthy. But when you get a fully healthy Jalen Gibbs and you see that speed and athleticism on display, and he's making threes a little bit better this year, um, you pair him with Chong Kui. And also, too, now, I think I I like a lot of the – I like the freshman. I like Josh Reeves. I like uh, Dakota Lafue. I think those guys could come in and give him some quick buckets. Lafue in particular, you know, he's played Chong Kui and Lafue together a lot because – they're two ball handlers. They're two guys that can make plays off the dribble. They could shoot the three. So it kind of gives them a little, uh, a different dynamic, especially when you're playing those bigs all together. Um, so last year they were they, last year, they had a lot of injuries. So I think, you know, Dan Engelstad was playing only six or seven guys in his rotation and that's not what he wants to do. Now I think he has seven or eight guys comfortably that he could play. Um, and I think that's going to make a world of difference for the Mount moving forward.
0: Yeah, I really like their team. I think moving into NEC play, I think they'll shoot the three a little more efficiently, uh, you know, now that they're out of non-conference play. And, um, you know, they also, you know, Damian Chongqui is one of the best players in the league, and he has shown it over the first five games of the year, and he, he will be a matchup uh, problem throughout the season.
1: Yeah, I mean, shooting, shooting the three is not going to be their their strength, but um, the thing is, like I said before, they're – when you have the size and athleticism, it was kind of similar to Jamie and Christian's like third team where he had, I think it was Andy Smithers and he had uh, you know, Gregory Graves and Taylor Dan or her down low. It's kind of the same, same respect. And that was actually one of the better defensive teams the NEC's seen over the past decade. So because they couldn't shoot over that length, you know, the 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 opponent's effective field goal percentage was really low. So I think Dan's gonna kind of embrace that that strategy. But at the same time, I, I know he's hopeful that the team can make more shots and uh, you know be a little more versatile offensively.
0: Good to talk about Mount Saint Mary's. Let's move on to Saint Francis Brooklyn. Uh, we finally got the first looks of uh, of them in the last couple weeks here. I like this team. I like what he's building here. Some of the new players are really good. Uh, you know, you look at their guards, and they just throw them at you in waves. We got Travis Atson coming in and, and Rob Higgins and Unique McLean, who is a guard, I guess, but he plays yeah. much bigger than that. Chauncey Hawkins, of course, preseason, all NEC, Larry Moreno. They just keep coming at you, scored a lot of points until they, until they kind of got shut down a bit in their final game against central. They had, they had scored 82, 93 and 91 points and uh, off to a two and two start. But I think there's plenty to be excited about if you're a Terrier fan.
1: I mean what what were the two weaknesses of the Terriers last year? It was shooting shooting the basketball and it was also finding a consistent foreman around Dennis Chell and the skilled big and then the guards that you mentioned in in um, in Hawkins, Higgins, and then uh, especially McLean. So what does Travis Adson do? He fills both those needs he's a he's a guy that you could play at the four 30 minutes a game. I know he's smallish he's six five, but he's tough he 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 can get in there and rebound the ball, he can shoot the three. He's not afraid to, to put it on the deck. Um, so I think he's, he's a critical piece for, for Glenn Breaker. And then I know you, you lose Dennis Chellen, but he's got two bigs that you could post up. Um, I'm gonna, probably going to butcher their names, but uh, <laughs> you, can, you can help me with this, Ron. I, I'm
0: not even sure. <laughs>
1: David, David Muncat and, uh, right. you know, Vuk Stefanik. So the thing with those two guys is, I think late in the Central Connecticut win and then late in the Bryant win, he, breaka called their names in the post late in the game. That kind of tells you the comfort that he has with those guys. And Muencat made a couple really nice moves with his footwork. Um, so it's, he's definitely got a good rotation there at the five, Atson at the four. And then, like you said, those guards, Moreno's more healthy this year. Um, I think they're going to be, uh, they're going to be a really interesting team just because like a, they have a lot of different pieces now. And if they could become better shooters, which I think Higgins is going to become a better shooter, you know, I think last year Higgins, he's always been that high energy guy and he wasn't curtailing his energy that well on the offensive end. So you get tired legs and it it leads, it lends to shooting, you know, less than 30% from three. He's going to get better from three. Moreno is going to give you a boost. Atson's already a good three point shooter. Um, Stefanik, I believe, can also make those shots as well. So I think they're going to be better shooting in basketball. And like you said, this is going to, that lends to a better offensive team.
0: Yeah, I don't think that, you know, Higgins is shooting four for 24 from three. That's not going to stick for he's the gonna season. Be so he's going be to be better. I think that they have shot makers and I think they have players who at the end of the game want to take big shots. So I, I think that's going to serve them well as they move on. So I, I'm, you know, I'd buy stock in in the fight and breakers here. Yeah. If if you're an uh, NEC fan. Yeah. All right, let's move on to the next team. Let's talk a little bit about Fairleigh Dickinson. Uh FDU, they split their opening series with Central, came back strong in game two. Tough, tough non-league slate. Um, so it's you know, it's hard to make an assessment there. But you look at some of the guys they brought back, obviously, Elijah Williams and Jill Jenkins are stars and, and preseason all NEC uh players. But look at the recruiting class that they brought in this year, and we've already seen it in Joe Munden Jr., two-time player of the week, you know, P.O. Racine is a Rookie of the Week, uh, John Square Jr. This is another team that's building a, a foundation for when Jaleel and Elijah are gone next year.
1: I mean, the job that the, the staff does on recruiting is remarkable, they, they, they're, a, they're a recruiting factory. Um, but you mentioned the freshmen, but I think most impressive has been Brandon Rush this year. Um, you know, you, you have the two opt-outs and that was their respectful decision, but Brandon Rush was kind of forced into the fire. Last year, he didn't, he didn't have to be that um, scoring presence. He was a guy that came off the bench. He had kind of an uneven season as most freshmen do, but I mean, man, he hit, he hit the ground running, uh, you know, in that first game against Quinnipiac, he was fantastic, you know, making threes, but not only that, but um, defenders could not keep him in front of them. I mean, he's just, he was just dynamic getting to the rim. And then also, He's very athletic, so he's great to have in transition, um, much like Joe Munden Jr. is. So, you know, they got Powell, Brandon Powell back for that second game against Central Connecticut. I think that made a big difference because Powell, I believe, is an underrated guard in this league. I mean, he, he could do a lot of things. He's kind of like a, um, as Greg Crendo will say, he's kind of a lunch pail type of guy. Like he's going to do the dirty work. He's going to, you know, he's going to grind at you defensively. He's going to make threes. He's going to make his teammates better. So you have... Jenkins you have Powell and you have Rush in that backcourt and then you kind of pair them with you know Elijah Williams is I think a top five player in this league he could there's not a thing that he can't do on the court right now P.O. Racine's going to be a very good big in this league he's going to have his ups certainly this year um, so I think they're, they're going to be okay I mean they, they lose Devin Dunn for a year which is which hurts them from three but Brandon Rush has done a really good job kind of filling that void and um, they're they're still they're still going to be a force here
0: They're a force. And if you look at Greg's teams over the years, they always get better as the season moves on. Typically they've they've struggled early on and then they've gotten it all together. And I think with all these young guys on the team, they will just continue to get better. So I'm pretty certain they're going to be there uh, at the end. All right. We're down to two more teams to uh, get to that have seen action. Let's go to St. Francis university. We all know about their big, the opening night win over Pitt. Struggled somewhat since then, but you have to look at the teams that they've played. They played Virginia. They played a very good Liberty team. UMBC is projected near the top of the America East. Um, This is a team that, you know, they may not have a go-to score like they've had with Braxton and Blackman, but it's a balanced team. And certainly, Ramir dixon Conover going down. against UMBC really hurt them in you know all the games after that, especially in, when they played Mountain in their only league game. What are you seeing from the flash this season?
1: I mean, the, the thing I'm most encouraged with is the play of Mark Flagg. Um, he's been really good. Um, Crimmel's been, Rob Crimmel's been careful to kind of limit his minutes it, um, in his first three years. He was typically playing about 50% of the team's minutes. Now he, now he's up to uh, 67.5% of the team's minutes. So obviously that shows you the comfort level that he has in Flag. Flag has scored in double figures in, in five straight games. Um, and they're actually featuring him in the offensive set. Before, a lot of his offense you know, early on, early in his career were, was from putbacks and kind of rim running and kind of getting in transition um this time though he's he's been featured a little bit more especially in the low post and i think that's an encouraging sign and then you know miles thompson's going to get better here i think he's kind of adjusting he, he goes from being the third or fourth man on his team last year to being the guy so that, that typically takes a little bit of adjustment we know we know the playmaking ability of tyler stewart um like you said ramir dixon conover going down hurt them but it sounds like he's going to be back pretty soon and you know his ability to get downhill and get to the rim is special in this league. Um, so you kind of, you, you add him you, and, and Bryce Lasky and his, his ability to make shots. I think they're going to be okay. Um, I think, you know, balance is going to be the hallmark of this team. Obviously when you go from having two player of the year guys and Braxton and Blackman um, typically you're going to go to a balanced kind of lineup moving forward. And that's what they have to do here. I think they're going to be okay. It's going to be, you um, It's going to be a learning curve for, for all these guys, like I said, trying to acclimate to their new roles, but they certainly have the pieces to be, uh, to be successful in the league.
0: I agree. I mean, I think they had a good one in Maxwell land as a freshman. I think he's going to be a really good player and I'm a big miles Thompson guy and I know his numbers kind of struggling shooting so far this year, but I think that'll all work itself out. He does all the little dirty work things that you, you know, you need from a player. So uh, I, I think that they will be competitive, very competitive when we get back in January and, and Ramirez back. So,
1: yeah, it's comfort. It's going to be comfort with Thompson, because think about it, too. You're playing against Pittsburgh. You're playing against Virginia. Um, you know, UNBC is a really good team. I mean, these, these are Liberty's a very good mid-major. So um, it's going to take a little time for Thompson to adjust, but I think he's going to be just fine. I mean, he, a 6'6 big who could kind of stretch it out and run the floor. He's rugged. He, you know, no one's pushing him off the low block. Um, I, I like his, I like his future, you know, as a junior now.
0: All right, let's go to Wagner. This is, this is my sleeper team yeah. this year. Uh, I, you know, they, they'd only played Seton hall, which was, that's a tough draw to start your season. Yeah. And then they get Wagner. I mean, they get Wagner, they get Bryant, which was a games that were moved up. So from January, that's a tough, tough task for your first league games to be playing Bryant and running up and down the court like that for two straight days. With that said, I think we saw some things out of Wagner that, you know, fans in Staten Island should be encouraged about Uh, between Elijah Ford and Alex Morales, who, you know, both have that star potential. You have Elijah Allen coming in who looks like a good one. What did you uh, see from the two games in Smithfield?
1: I mean, I was impressed in that second game. They 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 tied it up at seventy three in the final minute of that second game, so they could have won that game. They they were right there, and that that's pretty impressive in itself. Like you said, with the the fact that they they barely played, and then they have to have they have to do back to back games with a team that loves to run up and down the floor against them. Um, Elijah Ford, I know you and I were talking about this before the podcast. You know, he's kind of that throwback big man. I know he's only six four, but his ability to kind of like against Bryant, for example, he was setting up shot by the, the, the free throw line, and then he was comfortable kind of hitting that, hitting that jumper right there or just attacking off the dribble and getting to the rim. The thing I love about Ford, you probably agree with me, is he knows what his strengths are, and he does his best to accentuate those strengths. He doesn't try to shoot threes. He doesn't try to do stuff that he's not good at. Um, he is what he is. He's just really athletic. He's really strong, um, and he, he's got a bunch of skilled moves in the low post.
0: But isn't that, to me, that's what a good NEC player is all about. You're not going to get a guy who's going to be a five-star, five-tool for the most part in the conference, but that's okay. If you can accentuate your strengths, kind of hide some of your weaknesses, you can be really good. And we have players in this league like Elijah Ford who are, you know, elite athletes. Maybe they're not a three-point shooter. You know, maybe they're not an outside shooter at all. But a guy like Elijah Ford, boy, he can really take it to the whole – and make things happen and you know sometimes all you need is a couple playmakers and that could get you over the top
1: yeah listen they everyone knows what elijah ford's going to do on the court and he's made more than 50 percent of his twos in 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 one plus year at at wagner so far and you know he's made he's made 62 percent of his shots so far this year um so you know he's just it's, it's all about good coaching too. Coaches put their players in positions to succeed by working on their strengths. And that's what coaches do. And I think Bashir obviously understands what Elijah can do. Um, and he puts him in those situations to, to thrive. And then, you know, you talked about Alex Morales. I mean, he's kind of, um, it's going to take some time for him to kind of, you know, get his legs under him. You know, he hasn't shot the ball very well, but I mean, he, he's tough. He, he's tough as well. I mean, he's a stat stuffer Um I think he's gonna be okay. You kind of have that Ford Morales combination. I like Justin Brown. I don't I know he didn't play a ton of minutes in the first two games, but I think he's gonna be a really you know, to have a six ten skilled big like him around the rim is gonna be um, you know, is gonna be really nice for Wagner. So I think they got some pieces here to be uh to be feisty.
0: Jordan Mason, too, is a shooter. They need shooting.
1: Mason needs to make shots. That's critical for them. It I think it was an underrated uh an underrated thing that Wagner was missing last year was Mason uh, missing his freshman year due to injury. Um, So him being back, they definitely need him to make shots for sure.
0: All right. So finally let's Merrimack hasn't played yet. I feel bad. They have not, you know, gotten onto the court. We'll see them in January. What's your preseason take on Merrimack knowing that, you know, Javaris Hayes is gone and, you know, some of their, Of their top guys that have been that were four year stars are no longer with the program. With that said, they have a system that works. They that that team, no one hustles like they do. You know, they're going to play defense. What does it look like for Joe Gallo's uh, crew this season?
1: It's going to be more balanced on the offensive end, which is what they were last year. Um, you know, um, Mikey Watkins is going to have the ball in his hands a lot more. I know last year, you know, you had Hayes with the ball, and Watkins was playing off the ball. Now he's gonna be the, the primary ball handler and I think that suits his strengths. You know, Devin Jensen is one of the best three point shooters in the league. Uh, you're gonna have that freshman to sophomore jump with Ziggy Reed and, and uh, jo- you know, Jordan Miner is a beast down low. He had one of the best offensive rebounding percentages in the country last year as a freshman. Justin Connolly is a guy who sat out last year, but he's a six eight skilled big who could block shots and a very good role player. He could pass it, he could feature him in the high post. I think they're going to be okay offensively. And then defensively, it's kind of funny, you know, the two, three zone, the attacking zone, we're kind of in a copycat era and I've already seen a bunch of zone from these NEC teams in the early going, I wonder if they're kind of trying to copy the, the Merrimack template a little bit and kind of build off that because obviously you see how successful Merrimack was last year. Um, and, you know, so so you kind of think to yourself, well, maybe we should play a little bit of zone too, a little bit of attacking zone and see how that goes. I know Sacred Heart did that uh, the other day. And in Wagner, we saw them play a little bit of zone against Bryant, which, you know, you never think Bashir Mason would play anything but hard man to man. So it seems like teams Central Connecticut's done. It, so it seems like teams are playing a little more zone these days. And I wonder if that's uh, a credit to the success that Merrimack had last year.
0: Sounds good. Can't wait to see Merrimack play. Uh, Obviously they come off a historic first season in division one and in the NEC, and we'll get a look at uh, Gallo's crew in early January when we return before we go, Ryan, just a couple little, uh, little segments here. Let's think about what player so far this year has surprised you the most, A returning player.
1: Returning player. Um, I mean, I, I, mentioned Brandon rush already. Uh, you know, the fact that he's been able to step in and be that third option to the Jaleel Jenkins and Elijah Williams has been really impressive to me. Um, we've only seen uh, kind of a snippet of it, but I think Tyler Thomas, like I said, he has to be that kind of most improved player. He has to be in that discussion for sacred heart to exceed expectations this year. And he certainly did that in the second game against LIU. Um, I don't know. You throw, you put me on the spot there. You throw a couple guys out. I'll
0: <laughs> I'm just, no, you're the expert. I'm just trying to, I'm trying to set you up. Um, no, that's okay.
1: Give me, give me a guy and I'll think of another one.
0: <laughs> um. Uh. That's been impressive to me. Come, you know, I love, Um. I love Malik Jefferson and yeah. I love what he's doing for that team. The way he played against Maryland. And I just think that he is just such a handful inside. And I think that, makes the Mount guards even that much more uh, dangerous, knowing that the defenses have to be honest and play a guy like that, who is just going to take it to the hole hard.
1: Yeah, he's probably the best, one of the best post players in the league for sure. Um, another guy, you know, with Bryant, I mean, they have a number of guys, but uh, you know, Charles Pride, I mean, he's been a, and I know, cause so, Pride had a pretty good freshman year last year. I thought he might've been an all rookie guy, um, he wasn't an all rookie guy, right? I don't think he was.
0: He he won four rookie of the weeks, but did not make the all rookie team.
1: Yeah, it seems kind of odd to me, but I know Gross Jared was telling me that he was injured a lot of his freshman year, so he he was kind of lacking that explosiveness, that versatility that he was accustomed to. This year, he's obviously fully healthy, and we see what he's capable of. I mean, his ability to to shoot the three and to kind of put it on the deck, and he you know to be able in the way he's in control when he's kind of you know attempting a shot near the rim is impressive um he's he's really impressed me kind of that freshman to sophomore jump if you're if you're talking about returning guys
0: sounds good let's go to when we get into january and february what game are you most looking forward to seeing you know when when it comes around what series is gonna it excites you the most
1: Hmm. that's an interesting one um you know, Ryan, just because we've seen a, we've seen a little bit of both these teams, but Bryant against FDU is going to be really interesting because I know Jaleel Jenkins, Greg Hrenda, they're not afraid to run up and down the floor. So we could see it, we, that, that could be a real track meet where we have like 90 to 95 possessions in that game. I think that's going to be a fun one to watch. And just the athleticism on display in that one is just going to be really impressive. Um you know cuz we know Elijah Williams can run up and down the floor he's like a Mack truck he's not afraid to go back and forth and then you know Jared could kind of mix and match he could put Nathaniel Stokes at the 5 he's he's kind of a perimeter comfortable guy you know Pride's going to run the ball um i would i would love to see that matchup uh you know moving forward and then i can't wait to see Merrimack play again i just can't wait to see that 2-3 zone Mikey Watkins no no one really realized that he was one of the best steals guys in the country last year because his teammate was just better than him but he was nationally ranked in steal rate I don't have a number in front of me but um Watkins and at the top of that two three zone and now they're they're going to have more of a backline support um in, in you know down low with with minor and Reed and I mentioned Connolly. those guys are going to protect the rim a little bit better they're going to grab defensive rebounds a little bit better and so it's going to be maybe a little bit different look from, from, from Joe Gallo in that 2-3 zone. But I think I'm really curious to see how the NEC teams, now that they've had a year to kind of adapt to it, how they respond to that 2-3 zone. And obviously, if you take Hayes out of there, that's a, big, uh, that's a big loss. But I think Watkins is more than capable to be that leading guy at the top of the zone.
0: I think Watkins is, might be one of the players in this league that's the most important uh, to his team's success. Like if you had to pick players that you need them to be good for you to be good, I think is, as he, you know, does his best to fill the Javaris role. I don't know that anybody's going to do it like he did, but there's certainly talent on both sides of the court uh, for Watkins because he showed what he could do on offense as well. And I think that, um, you know, if he, as he goes, so, so do the Warriors this season.
1: He he could be a defensive player of their candidate, honestly, him and hall wise, just like, Watkins has that ability. I mean, he's 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 fantastic in the in the open floor and kind of creating turnovers. And now with with Hayes no longer there, kind of freelancing, uh, that could improve his steal numbers even more.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's it's funny you talk about you know, Elijahs and then you talk about the Hayes or the Watkins, and it's amazing defensively how two completely different players can impact the games so much. From different spots on the floor and we saw with Elijah's blocking seven shots uh, against Wagner in a game what he means to Brian especially if Brian is going to be you know going 90 feet up the floor on defense and you need that guy on the other end who's going to be the deterrent should you break a press
1: yeah that you saw the same thing with Spellman last year and then the year before that you know, and then Wagner, when they had those elite defensive teams in the middle of last decade, who do they have? They had Kenny Ortiz at the top, and then they had, you know, a Mario Moody or a, a neo uh, uh, a Folahan like down low blocking shots. And so that combination was lethal, and it made it made it, it made Wagner one of the best defensive teams in you know in the decade when you have that kind of combination. So yeah, you talk about Watkins, you talk about Elijahs. Um, it's just two different players, but they 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 can both affect the game in so many different ways.
0: So let's let's wrap it up. We've we've been here for now how many weeks? About three weeks. We're gonna be four weeks soon. You've seen we haven't seen much of some of the teams. We've seen more of others. You know Brian's played a pretty regular schedule. What is your overall assessment of the conference at this point? Or are there anything that you're seeing now that you didn't anticipate when the year started?
1: So I didn't, so, I mean, it's a small sample size, but these back-to-backs we've seen a lot of splits so far. So I'm curious to see if that trend is going to continue. Um, and something that I definitely want to kind of look at is like a maybe an article or something is kind of to get the coaches takes on these back-to-backs and like kind of w- what's the routine around them. You know, you have a game at 7 p.m., games over at nine, and then you got to play the same team at 4 PM the next day. So like, what do you do? Do you watch film the night before? Do you, you know, do you have a shoot around? But you know, the, I, I would assume the coaches schedules are pretty hectic during that time. Um, so it's, it's kind of an interesting dynamic. So I'm, I'm curious to see if these, if these splits to, for these back-to-backs continue that trend. And also too, I'll be looking closely kind of the home court advantage because obviously we don't have fans in the stands this year. Um, I'm gonna see if there is actually gonna be a true home court advantage. I think as far as the league play is concerned, you know, we knew they, we knew the league would be very um, fluid. We knew that there would be um, a lot of teams in the running as far as contender status. And it's all, it's all the more important this year because you need to be in the top four of the league, right, to make the NEC tournament. Um, So I think, in a way, Bryant has surprised me a little bit. I know I picked them fourth in, in my Blue Ribbon preseason poll, so they've surprised me a little bit, but they they very much look like a contender to, to fit into that top four. Like I said, FDU had those opt-outs, but I'm, I'm encouraged by the freshman and Brandon Rush, so I think they're going to be there as well. Um, so it's kind of curious. Uh, LIU certainly has the talent, so there's plenty of competition with the Mount and you know St. Francis Brooklyn, who we talked about, Central Connecticut's improved. So it's going to be interesting to see who kind of else fits in that top half of the league. Um, and the back-to-backs are going to add an interesting interesting wrinkle to it. I just don't know how that's going to end up affecting all this. Um, I just hope that all the teams can get as, as close to 18 conference games as they possibly can. And then um, we'll see who who's standing in March.
0: Yeah, me too. Um, yeah, I think the back-to-backs are interesting in the fact that you have it's twofold from – The first game ends and then you have coaches thinking about, well, what do we need to change as far as the game plan and then what do we need to do with our rotation to keep guys fresh so there's lots of things to think about in potentially you know a game If we're having a seven o'clock game, it ends at nine o'clock and then you're playing again at four o'clock the next day, there isn't much time to do that. And sometimes I think the advantage goes to the team that lost because they're gonna make changes where the team that wins sometimes maybe is like, well, what we're doing is pretty good. Yeah. So uh, again, with all the things you said with with um, not having home fans and the the ability for the team that loses the first games to kind of mull it over, I, I'd be curious also to see splits versus sweeps this year and what we're going to get. And if we had, if we would have had more sweeps in a traditional schedule than we do now, I don't know because in a traditional schedule, you're home and home. Now you're not. So I don't know, but I think it's something to track on all year, as you said, and that it would probably be a good, uh, you know, a blog article for the overtime blog to see what coaches are doing to handle this. As the year goes on.
1: Yeah. And you mentioned rotations too, right? Usually in the non conference play, when you have a full non conference season, coaches are playing eight to 10 guys to just kind of see, like, kind of experimenting in a way uh, to see which rotations work, you know, which combinations work on the floor um, and get a feel for all your guys and how they adapt to game pressure. Um, Now you don't have that, you know, you don't have that non conference to be kind of the mad scientist. And it's interesting, like you said you know, in that first game of a back-to-back, do you expand your rotation a little bit for, and that, that may not be for the betterment of your team and your team's performance, but are you trying to kind of like, all right, well, maybe let's throw a guy in here for 10 minutes tonight. And that way I could save my seventh or eighth guy a little bit more for game two. And hopefully you can kind of, it's, it's a, it's a delicate balance as far as making sure your team performs at an optimal level, but also making sure that your team has energy for the second night.
0: I think sometimes I maybe it's almost like baseball and pitching like sometimes you you want to win that first game and yeah. you go all out to win the first and you know we'll deal with tomorrow when it comes. Yeah. And I think it's like postseason playoff pitching. You know what I mean? We, we you you got to win the game and then if it means in a 15 inning game using your your best starter and he doesn't pitch the next game, we'll figure it out the next day.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's an interesting dynamic because in that first game, you know, in the first half when the game's still kind of like in the balance and you, you know they're you know you're not like fighting tooth and nail to to win the game at that point, it's just interesting how coaches will handle the rotations early on, kind of get get players some minutes, at least in the first half of that first game to kind of maybe possibly spell other guys, you know, for that second game. Um, it's an interesting dynamic because a lot of coaches they like to they, they like to play six or seven when it comes to league play, in a... In a typical pre pandemic year, but this year we may actually see more nine, eight, uh, seven, eight and nine man rotations instead, just because like you said, you know, it's kind of pre- preserve everyone and kind of make sure that they're, they're well energized for these back to backs.
0: Yeah. Will it help teams that are built to have 10 man rotations? Yeah. You know, that's, that could be a, a telling sign by February.
1: Yeah, I'm not even sure if there are teams that are positioned to be playing ten guys right now. Quite honestly, just because, and also to the back-to-backs, that could that that adds an injury risk too, right? So guys are expending themselves twice in a 24-hour period. That's uh, you know that puts you a little more risk for that too. So coaches certainly have to be cognizant.
0: Well, there we go. We talked five minutes about back-to-back games. Good job. <laughs>
1: <Riveting>. <laughs> All right,
0: Ryan, we'll. First of all, happy holidays to you. Thank you for always, as always, for your contributions um, and your rapid reactions with us and your blogs, everything you do for the conference. We really appreciate it.
1: Uh, thanks, Ron, I appreciate that. It's it's fun to be playing basketball again and analyzing basketball. And I hopefully come January and February, we're in the middle of this and we're, we're breaking down, You know which teams have the best shot to, to get into the NEC tournament.
0: All right, well, Good seeing you and we will be back in January for more NEC on the run video podcast, audio podcast, everything you expect from us. And that's it. This has been NEC on the run on the NEC.